Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Paul Allen, president of Airship AI. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Jeff. How are you, sir? Good. So, Paul, for those that aren't familiar with Airship, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Absolutely. So, Airship AI is a video sensor data management platform. And we've got a range of products that cover everything from data collection and analytics out at the edge um, where the data is being generated all the way back to the data center or the cloud where that data then becomes ingested, um, potentially further analyzed and structured, and then back out to the edge to the data consumer who's ingesting it and, and making sense of whatever that data might be. Is this a, a software or a hardware solution? We're predominantly a software solution, but we do have hardware components that sit out at the edge where we do the actual processing and analytics, and we build those products ourselves um, in partnership with NVIDIA, where we were an early adopter around their small edge AI platform. Is there anything protected about it? No, really what makes us unique or, or what protects us is our ability to provide that turnkey solution where we're able to do everything for the customer um, typically in a very tailored manner um, that supports whatever their unique workflow is. And that's really the, the differentiation in a lot of our customer bases is that there are a wide range of cost solutions out there, commercial off-the-shelf solutions, whether they be a product out at the edge that might be able to do some data analytics or data processing or at the back end um, where they're able to bring that in and, and process it. And, and lots of individual vendors out there that provide capabilities in any one of those individual verticals. And really what allows us to be um, unique and differentiated for our customers is the fact that we can provide a turnkey solution that allows them to do things at the edge and the back end and again in that data center cloud environment and then back out at the data consumer level. And that ability to tie it all together and manage it is really what is our differentiation in our moat more so than a patent or you know, anything that we've documented that's uh, internal IP. So how large of an addressable market is this, and where do you fit in with the competitive landscape? I know you said there's people who do different aspects, but those that do turnkey, for example. Absolutely. So you know, what we've historically found is that we typically fight well above our weight class relative to the competitors that we go up against. You know, so as I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of individual vendors that maybe just make a small edge product and we're out some algorithms that do some processing out at the edge. And then likewise, some other platforms out there that uh, do that same processing on the back end, um, but don't have both of the different pieces. And that ability to provide both is what makes us unique. So in some cases, we might be going up against a commercial off-the-shelf cloud video management platform, or we might also be going up against a uh, large defense contractor or you know, one of the, the, the larger trip, traditional um, gorillas in the defense market who maybe makes a, a specific edge platform that could sit out on a drone. And so when we look at then what our addressable market is, it is uh, it's massive. So it's everything from Homeland Security, so Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, and agencies such as that. It's state and local law enforcement agencies, but it's also the Department of Defense and uh, the military, so SOCOM, the special operations community, uh, which is my original background, but as well, it's the state, local education, so state schools, smart cities. Um, really, the, the market is 
is massive and rapidly growing because cameras and other sensors to collect data, um, regardless of whether it's, you know, walking into a building or walking out onto a, a street corner and looking up, they're everywhere and they're only continuing to grow. So they need to be able to make sense of all of that data and do that in a very efficient manner uh, is only just going to continue to increase. Now, is this a one product or, or one solution fits all? Not necessarily. The, the underlying solution um, in that underlying software stack is incredibly robust and scalable, and it can work in a wide variety of different environments. Where we do typically see tailoring, though, or customization of the solution is when we get into a specific vertical. So let's say if it's warehouse or retail operations, and maybe we're supporting a customer who has challenges with organized retail crime. The work and the tailoring that we're going to do for the, the user interface or the analytic capabilities out at the edge, let's say the models, where somebody in the retail space is concerned about uh, shoplifting or, let's say, uh, customer density in, in terms of uh, numbers of customers in a certain place in their store, whereas maybe for a school, they're more concerned about uh, detecting somebody walking up to the school uh, with a weapon or it could be a, a door lodged open. And likewise, when we look at the, the larger federal or military space, that customization is going to be, again, training custom analytic modules that support whatever their individual workflow is because the things that they care about aren't necessarily going to be the same as uh, those retail or, let's say, uh, higher education customers. But the beauty of the solution is that the same underlying software platform can support every single one of them. It's just the tailoring of those models so that the data that gets generated at the edge and then managed in their solution is then specific and germane to whatever their actual operation is. So I believe you mentioned government and private sector. So who are your customers and what's kind of the mix between those two? So today, roughly 60-40 is either government or state local law enforcement. And then, you know, the remainder would be uh, the commercial retail industry. So again, our, our biggest customer sets are going to be agencies within Department of Homeland Security, agencies within the Department of Justice, groups across the Department of Defense, as well as, uh, um, again, those state local law enforcement agencies, and then some large Fortune 500 um, companies that use this for everything from uh, public safety as well as um, different analytic models that are in support of their operations. And it's that transition from uh, CapEx to OpEx that we really focus on in that world. So that's really kind of our U.S. footprint. And then we do have a growing uh, global footprint. Uh, we're in over 40 countries today, and that includes uh, commercial and retail deployments um, in that global environment, as well as uh, foreign uh, ministries of defense and or um, law enforcement, all with customers and uh, company or countries that uh, the U.S. is friendly with. So what we would call like the typical five ice countries um, from a military perspective. Okay. So, so who's the ideal customer where you know, the low-hanging fruit where you're most advantageous? And maybe give an example of somebody you, you've helped like that. Yeah. So our typical sweet spot is going to be a, an enterprise customer that has got a lot of different locations, um, they could be scattered across uh, a single, you know, state. They could be scattered across the country, or they could be globally. But ultimately, a large number of 
cameras and sensors deployed, again, typically in that larger global environment, and our ability to then federate all of that and bring all of those cameras and sensor data back to a single, what they would call typically a security operations center or global security operations center, that's going to be our, our typical customer. And so when we look at, again, things like a, a customer like a federal agency, a Customs and Border Protection, where they've got hundreds of buildings and facilities scattered across uh, the northern and southern border, uh, ports of entry, et cetera, being able to bring all of those camera feeds back along with potentially analytic data or things that they may be looking at um, in any one of those different sites or facilities and managing all of that in a secure enterprise um, manner, that's going to be our typical sweet spot customer. So that's just an example from a government agency, but it could be a large retail organization that's got you know, stores scattered across a state or the U.S. or, again, globally as well. Those are typically going to be the customers that benefit the most from the full suite of products that we at Airship you know, provide. Now, we've got very small customers that could just be a local law enforcement agency might only have six, eight, ten cameras, maybe a small school or a uh, small business that's only got two or three locations, um, you know, in a city or town. So we, we certainly scale from that very small deployment up to that very large, again, Fortune 500 type customer. But those larger customers are the ones that are going to benefit more from that robust back-end that we've built out at the enterprise level. And what uh, marketing channels are you using to, to reach these customers? So historically, we've been a direct-to-the-consumer company. So we've always historically built those relationships directly with that end user, help them understand the value proposition, what differentiates Airship and our product or products versus the competition, and really understanding the actual operational challenges that that specific customer or agency might be facing. Now, we typically manage all of those relationships directly, but we do use a large number of different partners, um, whether they are global integrators or distributors or resellers, to actually go uh, deploy and affect our solution in support of that customer. So we don't want to be in the uh, deployment phase of the environment. We really want to help that customer understand why our platform is the right platform for them. And then we want to go work with typically a trusted, again, integrator or reseller that understands their broader environment, maybe has contractual capabilities from an acquisition perspective, and then we're going to go work with them uh, to get our solution out there and deployed. Is this off the shelf or does it take a lot of manpower? All of our core products are all off the shelf. So any customer could come in and say, I've got, you know, some number of cameras, and if you just want to do uh, basic workflow, bringing in those cameras, securing them, um, encrypting them, maybe encoding them, being able to bring that video back, pull it up at a operations center, pulling it up on the phone of uh, a shift manager who had me walking around, all of that can be done usually within a matter of hours. Now, where we typically get into engineering support on site to help with those more robust scenarios is where we're tying multiple facilities together. Um, we might have a blend of different types of cameras or sensors. It could involve radar or drones or other types of sensors out there that might generate video, audio, and or other metadata that that customer wants to bring in. 
And when we start getting into those kind of environments, that's typically where, you know, we might spend days or weeks with a customer prepping their environment, making sure their cloud or their data center or their on-premise architecture is all properly set up, everything is all networked properly, and then it's very easy for us to come in, um, do the installations, work with them on any security requirements for their IT organizations, you know, that they require to have in place before the system goes live. But we support that full breadth of the, the pre-sales engineering activities as well as um, once it's there and on-site and installed, you know, how we support that customer going forward. Okay. So in terms of the ability to scale, what's the biggest gating factor? For most of our customers, the, the challenge is going to be the architecture and the network to actually run the platform. So our largest customer has over 100,000 cameras that are scattered across the world. The vast majority of those, they bring all back to a single location for viewing and management. And whether that's physical safety and, and security uh, cameras and or operational cameras that are deployed in support of their core operations, we bring all of that back. So that bandwidth uh, to bring all of those video feeds back, having the network and the architecture, um, whether it's all coming back to a data center or a cloud, typically working through all of that is the biggest challenge for the customer. The sheer scale of how we do it and the user permissions and authorities and making sure everything is secure, that really doesn't change uh, regardless of whether it's a single uh, end user logging in and looking at a single camera or hundreds or thousands of users on a system logging in and looking at um, you know, tens of thousands or more cameras. So how do you make money? What's the revenue model look like and gross margins? Absolutely. So when we look at the core platform, which is the software piece, that's all based on our cameras and our camera licenses. So our customers buy uh, the camera licenses based on the number of cameras that they're going to be bringing in and ingesting and recording at any given time. And all of those are perpetual licenses. So once they purchase the license, they own it in perpetuity, and it will run in perpetuity. The recurring revenue model on that is for software maintenance and agreements. So that's your patches, your updates, you know, your new software releases, and then it's also your technical support. And whether that's 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday, or 24-7, 365, um, for some customers that includes a dedicated uh, technical support individuals that might be cleared for their environment and, and are badged in um, to their networks. But that back-end piece is the recurring revenue model um, for our core business. Now, we have a true SaaS vSaaS solution, which is we manage and host all of the architecture up in the cloud, and the customers log in, they add their cameras, they add their users, but we're basically maintaining and managing all that for them. That's an annual recurring fee, so it's got a slightly different revenue generation and revenue recognition model. And then likewise, when we look at our edge appliances uh, that are doing the custom AI analytics out at the edge, those are typical one-time upfront sales uh, with perpetual licenses. And then they come with their own software maintenance agreements, hardware maintenance agreements, and or technical support agreements behind them. Okay, so it doesn't sound like you're selling your, the actual cameras. If, if you are, is, is that a pass-through or, or do you mark that up? That's correct. So our core business is not to provide the cameras or the sensors or 
uh, the radars or any of those other things. Um, if a customer comes to us and asks for recommended solutions, we work with almost every major vendor out there. Um, we certainly got some preferred, let's say, camera and or sensor vendors that we partner with, maybe that our integrations are a little deeper with than others, um, and we'll make those recommendations accordingly. But as a general rule, we really are just focused on the pieces of the architecture or the solution um, that are in our wheelhouse. And that's going to be our software, our edge appliances, um, and or um, the hardware, so that the servers and the storage solutions that um, would be running our solutions. And we will often provide those to the customer as well because we'll bring it in, um, we'll configure it, we'll harden it, we'll put custom images on there for the customer, and then we'll install our software and configure it such that when we ship those servers and the storage arrays out to a customer, they're basically ready to be racked and stacked, um, and it doesn't take uh, people traveling on site or that customer's IT organization uh, to put a significant level of effort in to get the system up and running. So what, what's the growth strategy? For us, it's twofold. So it's really expansion within our existing customer base, um, and that, again, is kind of that wide range of, of various federal agencies, military, state, local, and the educational space. And then it's really penetration into the commercial market in a much broader and more meaningful way. You know, we've got a couple large flagship customers that uh, are, are happy to talk about what we do for them um, with other customers in their space. And the way that we're going to do that is through expansion of our sales team and really being able to get out in front of more customers. It's going to be um, a broader participation in the market from a trade show and an industry event perspective. Brain name awareness is something that really by design we have not focused on, and that was really due to the nature of some of the things that we did for some of our federal customers. So now that we've got strategies for how we split out what we do for them and we protect that and, and we keep that firewall off to the side, now actually taking that broader solution capability out to the broader commercial market and doing that through some to-be-announced partnerships with some of these global integrator resellers, that's really how we're going to go have a more meaningful presence in that, let's say, commercial retail space, which is where we see a tremendous amount of opportunity. So do you have all the pieces you need or, or acquisitions part of the strategy? I think M&A is always uh, on the radar for any company in our space, and we're always out there looking for uh, solution providers or net new capabilities uh, that are adjacent to what we do. We believe we understand the market and what our customer base needs and requires extremely well, and we have a good feel for both the established companies out there that are playing in our space as well as some of the new and exciting vendors that are coming into this space and that have figured out maybe operational gaps um, that might be niche um, to a specific vertical, but fit in very well with what we're trying to do. So we're already looking at some of those type customers or vendors, and we're going to continue to uh, you know, grow that aperture as we grow the, you know, our existing customer base. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like your product or solution is pretty much built out other than you know, normal upgrades, uh, so you don't have a major CapEx. Is that correct? That is correct. And that was, that was a big piece of um, our decision to go public. You know, really, you know, several things played into that. One was financial transparency 
for a lot of our customers. As we grow into larger and larger contracts, you know, we've disclosed that we were recently awarded uh, a combination $10.9 million deal with a, uh, a large federal agency. As we kind of go after more and more of those larger deals, whether it's the government or whether it's a Fortune 500 company, they like to be able to use Wall Street as a vetting agency for a company and their financials and really having that comfort level that this company is going to be around tomorrow, um, they're on solid footing, and that they're well-placing, they're, they're, they're doing a good job putting their faith and trust in that company to provide a solution and that, you know, they're not going to be gone tomorrow. So that, that piece was a big one, but also making sure that we had our solution where we needed it to be so that we'd already made all of those internal investments into growing out, you know, our, our back-end enterprise platform or building our Edge AI appliance and building some of those core models that we knew would be relevant to the, the customer sets that we were going after. Having all of that in play before we went public was key so that, Really, once we get out into the public markets, you know, we're not coming out with a lot of debt. We're already and have historically been um, profitable as a company. Um, you know, we've been bootstrapped. So that has definitely been a differentiator from us from, let's say, a lot of other SPACs that we never took on VC or private equity money. Um, we've always run the business uh, very fiscally conservatively. So having all of that, you know, is in our minds, you know, wins in the sales. So now really the focus is just, um, as a public company, how do we actually go grow in a scalable yet responsible way, adding people uh, strategically, um, not getting ahead of ourselves or too far uh, ahead over our skis, you know, to use the, uh, the, the analogy from that perspective. And then um, what are some of the key drivers of the business? So really if we look at the edge, and the edge is where we see a lot of the growth, it's going to be, the, the miniaturization of the chipsets, so things like the NVIDIA Jetson platform that allow us to do some really high and large-scale processing out at the edge, um, which really didn't exist before that. It's going to be uh, the progression of things from a networking perspective like 5G, so being able to not only do that processing out at the edge on that miniature form factor, but also being able to um, rapidly and efficiently and securely move the data from the edge back to that cloud or data center. And historically, all of that had to be done on that back end. So you think about the model of even you know, three to five years ago, you know, data lakes were really a common industry term. If we look at that model now and what the capabilities are that exist out at the edge, the data lakes really become data swamps because you're having to bring every single bit of data back, store it, and then process it after the fact. And that's incredibly inefficient not just from an operational perspective, but it's also not efficient from a cost-based perspective because you've got huge data arrays, huge storage arrays, huge racks of um, servers with GPUs, all of which, which are very expensive, and it's just not an efficient way to do it. So that movement from doing everything on the back end and, and again, in that data center world and the migration to the cloud um, is a huge driver of the business, but as well that ability to move more and more of the workflow out to the edge and do that very efficiently and effectively there, that's the other driver. So if we combine the two of those things from an industry and technology perspective, that's a huge you know, part of um, the wins that we see 
you know, moving us forward. The other piece, um, and it is unfortunate, but it is a reality in the world, if we look at, um, you know, challenges on the border, we look at challenges with law enforcement events, whether it's at a school or a concert or a large venue, unfortunately, uh, from that perspective, the, the world is becoming more and more unstable, and that's not just in the U.S. So the combination of all of those events is really why we think we're very well positioned to be where we need to be when we need to be there. Very good. So as we monitor the company over the next 12 months, what are some of the events or catalysts that we ought to look for? Yeah, I think the big things that uh, investors ought to certainly be looking for is, um, again, that branding and awareness and having a much more public-facing perspective, um, doing more things like uh, being on the air with you today and talking to everybody about what our platform is, what, what we do, who we do it for, and why we do it. All of that is, I think, important. But as well, some of the other large efforts that we're working on uh, within our pipeline that we've disclosed, um, which is over $140 million as we come into the new year, watching to see how we execute against that, the KPIs which we put out there, and we've really talked about most all of them already as part of this conversation. We're excited to see how, uh, you know, how the year unfolds, and we are optimistic, and we're looking forward to uh, having investors challenge us to uh, you know, prove the execution against it as we've said that we will. Very good. So before we go, anything you wish I would have asked you that didn't or something you want to leave us with? No, I, I think this has been a great conversation. And, you know, like I said, uh, we, we only made the transition to the public markets in December. So we're really still kind of getting our arms around that whole part of the process and making sure that we're set up for success going into the new year. You know, we put the numbers out there in terms of, of what we're optimistic about in terms of growth, you know, which is looking at triple-digit growth year over year, certainly being back to EBITDA positive. So we've got, we believe, the pipeline, the team, the product, um, the market, and the customer sets to go do that in. And almost all of that is uh, expansion within existing customers. Um, we're not counting on a tremendous amount of net new um, customer revenue in the new year. So if we get that, you know, then that's all just going to be a further catalyst for growth across the platform. Sounds good. Well, Paul, thanks so much for sharing the Airship AI story. Jeff, I appreciate your time and uh, you know, look forward to uh, coming back and talking uh, maybe in six months about how we're doing against uh, the metrics we've just talked through. Very good. Thank you.